I hate Valentine's Day. I got to explain that, uh, although less so this service than last. My wife was in the last service, so I really had to explain that. But she knows that. You see, um, from the time I, I noticed girls till really, um, well, you'd think up until I met my wife, uh, Valentine's Day hated me, I should say. Maybe it was the month of January, because whoever I had fallen in love with until that time, and we're using the word love loosely there, uh, we'd broken up if we'd even gotten that far to actually officially dating and past the no, we're just friend stage. Um, it was long over by the time Valentine's Day rolled around. So I never celebrated Valentine's Day in high school. The best celebration I had, uh, I took an ex-girlfriend, not a girlfriend who's now an ex, but at the time she was an ex-girlfriend. We met at Denny's after she babysat on Valentine's Day. The, t- the tab came to two bucks because she wasn't hungry. I got breakfast. That's all it cost at the time. I had a 20. I left it. That was my best Valentine's Day celebration was giving a, that's a 900% tip, by the way, those of you doing the math. Um, Yeah, especially if you saw the news, Applebee's was in the news. Oh, I'm embarrassed for pastors this week. Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can see me later. But yeah, big tip. I love being a big tipper, but Valentine's Day, that's not really what you want it to be known for, is just being a big tipper. Um, Loving me and Valentine's never really worked. You'd think that meeting my wife would change that. It didn't because I made her cry every Valentine's Day until well into our marriage. Not before marriage, but she actually married me even though I was horrible at Valentine's Day. I, seriously, I made her cry. You can ask her. She's hanging out with the youth right now. Um, I finally figured it out, and by finally figured it out, I mean she stopped crying, and I have to admit, within the last two, three years, apparently, I don't remember this, but apparently I gave her a card that was not signed, and didn't have her name on the envelope. You can tease me endlessly about that. I did other things, in my defense. There, there was more than just a card. But seriously, me and Valentine's Day, we just don't get along. I love marriage, and I'm good at celebrating Christmas. Ask her about that. But I love marriage. I just hate Valentine's Day, and it doesn't like me. But since Valentine's Day is coming up on February 15th, um, checking, seeing if it's the 13th. No, it's the 14th. Okay. Since it's coming up, we're going to talk about something I do love, marriage, for a little bit today. And I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but scripture actually sometimes isn't even PG-13. Sometimes it's a little sketchier than that. Uh, I don't mean to be today, but if this makes you uncomfortable, it's in scripture. You need to, you need to deal with that. You need to come to grips with that. Hebrews 13.4, I read it before, but let's read it again. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. It's very simple and our culture stinks at it. And I don't mean our U.S. culture. I mean our church culture. This is a simple, simple verse. It amazes me how many times I think that of verses, by the way. There are a lot of simple verses. But we aren't very good at this. We don't honor marriage as often as we should. We need to value marriage in our actions, in our attitudes, in our thoughts, in our words. Every Christian should honor marriage, whether you are married or not, whether you plan on being married or not, whether marriage or Valentine's Day is something that has left a good taste in your mouth or not. We as Christians ought to honor it. God just told us to. We need to think good thoughts about marriage in general and our own in particular. If you're married, the things we think can undermine marriages. We need to have conversations that support the marriages of others. 
We don't always do that. When somebody calls and they're frustrated with their spouse, often that call should end very quickly with a, you need to talk to your spouse if they haven't. Other times it needs to be bringing them back to this and saying, you know what, wherever this conversation goes, you need to know I'm in support of your marriage. If you get advice that sounds different, then you've misunderstood me or I have been misspoken. Before we share the world's advice or find some way to undermine a marriage, we need to make sure the conversations we have support them. I talk about that when I do wedding ceremonies. We don't come for the cake. Some of us, like me, don't even like wedding cake. Lots of other cookies. Wedding cookies would be a great idea. But we come to support a couple in their marriage. And we need to remember that. We need to teach our kids that marriage is a great thing when it honors God. We need to be careful to make sure that what we are doing doesn't undermine that message to our kids. Even if our own marriage is good and solid, we need to make sure that, and I'll talk about this next, but the things that we are watching when they're around aren't undermining marriage. We need to watch how we joke. We treat marriage very poorly in our jokes. It's not very funny when we don't treat it poorly. And I don't mean you can't ever joke about marriage. You can tease me all you want about Valentine's Day and not signing a card. But we need to be careful about the marriage jokes we tell. And we need to be careful about the entertainment we watch and how it treats marriage. When our view of marriage becomes the sitcom's view of marriage for cheap laughs, marriage is not being honored. And if our kids are around and paying attention, sometimes it might not matter how good our marriage is. They may only hear what we're laughing at. We need to be careful with that. As we honor marriage, we also need to make sure we keep it pure. We need to keep it free from adultery and porn, from open marriage, from any other abuse of marriage that our sinful culture imagines. We need to hold off at a very far distance and not let it close. I forgot one other thing under honoring. We need to defend it at times. And I don't just mean gay marriage. That's one front. To all those others I miss, mentioned, adultery and porn and everything else. We need to keep it pure. We need to strive for purity before marriage. We actually, as a church, do a pretty good job with that. We give our teens purity rings, and we talk about it with them. We have goals for that. We talk about abstinence, and that's good. We shouldn't stop, but we need to work even harder at purity during marriage. And that's something we don't always think about. We'll just move on to the next subject. Marriage matters. So keep it pure. If you're taking notes, by the way, I'll tell you ahead of time, we probably won't finish those. <laughs> that part where it says some extra homework at, at home, you might need to do that. I went very long and I still cut stuff in the first service. I got to make sure I don't keep talking today. So if you miss something, you can check with me or check online later this week. It'll be there. For those of you fill in the blank, you might have a horrible afternoon while you're waiting to figure out that one blank, but that's okay. 1 Corinthians 7, another passage, and it tells us quite a bit about how we need to honor marriage and some particular things about it. This might make you uncomfortable. It is scripture. You need, depending on what, well, all of the points. If you disagree with me, I may misunderstand it, but you still need to come to grips with what scripture says. 1 Corinthians 7.1 and singles before you panic and think, oh great, another, another marriage message that I have to sit through. Actually, the first part has to do with singlehood. 
singleness. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry or a woman not to marry. It's interesting here as I go through this with our premarital counseling couples that that I'm involved with from time to time. These next verses from Paul make it sound like he doesn't like marriage. Seems kind of funny. Well, we need to balance that with 1 Timothy 4.3 where he defends it. And he says, some people are saying we shouldn't marry. And I'm here to tell you, no, it's okay, we should. You need to keep in mind, early church, and they thought Christ was coming back next week. So to them it was, well, why would you get married? Christ is coming right back. They didn't have an idea that he'd take his time, as God often does. We still struggle with that idea sometimes. But Paul, I think here, is dealing with, first, a bunch of questions that are brought up. The section from here on through almost the end of in the Corinthians, it seems like Paul, and he says it there, Paul was asked a bunch of questions, and the first one has to do with marriage. And I think here, in this section, he starts with, and he'll continue in 16 on, So singles, if you need some encouragement, go to 16 and and, and read that later on this afternoon. And he says, wait a minute, marriage is good, 1 Timothy 4, and and the things I'm going to talk about, but singlehood is good too. Singlehood and celibacy can honor Christ just as much as marriage does. Some of us have been called to that. And he starts off and he says, it's a good thing. It's a good thing not to get married. If you can handle that, don't. Later on, his point will be this, with no spouse and no kids to take your time and your concentration, you can be completely focused on God. That's a good thing. I think marriage is good too, and Paul's going to get into that. But so is singlehood. If you need a great historical example of that from the not too, too distant history, Henrietta Mears did amazing things for the kingdom. I don't even always agree with what she did, but she, because of being single, had a lot of extra time and attention to spend on Christ and his kingdom. And great things happened. Look her up. It's quite amazing, some of it, even if you might take a different uh, scriptural stand on one thing or the other. But it's good for a man not to marry. Marriage matters, but so do singlehood and celibacy. So singles, take heart. You might not always enjoy that, but it can be a blessing too. Verse 2, but since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Let's address two things that Paul eliminates right off the top. Premarital sex and cohabitation have no place in a Christian's life. They shouldn't be there. Paul doesn't say there isn't any temptation, by the way, in terms of sexual things or romantic inclinations. He just has a better solution than society. He says, get married. Don't live together. Don't act married before you're married. Just get married. If there's temptation, that's okay. Here again, it's, Paul kind of seems like, well, if you're an inferior Christian and you can't stay single. I don't think that's his point, but I think he is defending that whole thing of, hey, when are you going to get married there? <laughs> I don't think that was in Paul's vocabulary. But he does say, hey, marriage is a good thing too. And especially if you're struggling with temptation, and I think it's temptation with the particular person, not in general, that would be a different issue perhaps. But then in the temptation, by going and getting married, married, marriage does fix that to a degree. Handles the problem. That's a godly solution to it. Sex before marriage, however, doesn't honor marriage. 
We can't treat sex flippantly or casually like our culture does. And yet, sadly, churches sometimes do that just as often as our culture does. Christians definitely do that often, just as our culture does. It's not okay. Neither is living together. Moving in together isn't any better than just messing around. There's no room in a Christian's life for a trial relationship to see if it fits. God says, that's not okay. I have a better plan. That may, somewhere in your mind, make sense. I've had students tell me that before, college students and out-of-college uh, former students. Where it's, but, but it makes sense to you know, see if we fit, because God doesn't like divorce either. No, he doesn't like divorce. But verse 2 says, no, no, no. You don't, you don't get to live together. While it might seem to make sense, and the world thinks that, it never makes sense as a Christian to flat out disobey God. There's no point that we can ever say, oh, you know what, it doesn't really matter if I honor God here. It just makes sense. That doesn't work as a Christian. We shouldn't be okay with that. On top of that, though, interestingly, and God's word always reigns supreme, the statistics on cohabitation and relationships with premarital sex involved with them doom those relationships. Typically, when they do studies and they come back, Guess whose relationship doesn't make it? The ones who are disobeying God. They don't last. So if you don't care about your relationship and you don't care about God's word, by all means, go do what you want. I don't really mean that, but that's how we live. But as a Christian, don't expect that to go well. Disobeying God never goes well. If you're here today and you're living together, a few things. First, stop tonight. Go find a place. Yes, I know that'll be difficult. I know it's rushed and extreme. And God asks us to do extreme things and difficult things all the time. But if you're living together, stop. I had a roommate 25 years ago. I was about 13. I was in junior high, and he was a 45-year-old man, give or take a little bit, as a pastor's family, kid in a pastor's family. That happened from time to time. Uh, we had three rooms. Mom and dad had one. I had the boys' room. My sister had the girls' room. Anytime that somebody came into the house, if it was a girl, they, they were a roommate of my sister. If it was a guy, they got my bottom bunk. So I jumped to the top, and they got the bottom bunk. When he was 45 years old, I'm still a friend with him because he came to Christ. And he'd been living with one of the moms of a girl in my dad's youth group, and they realized this is not okay. So he moved in with me. It was weird, awesome, but weird. Uh, 13, 45, not a lot in common. Except Christ. There's a lesson there. But he moved in with me. We became roommates for a little while until he got married. And then he's lived with his wife since then. I love him. He's a great guy. I won't tell you his name, but he's a great guy. And that was a blast. It was fun to have a roommate. I'm not saying you can move into my house. But if you're living together, stop. It really is that simple, even though, yes, that is a difficult task. Second, once you're no longer living together, then ask yourself, should we consider getting married? It might be, by the way, that you ought to consider breaking up. If it is not a God-honoring relationship, even apart, then end it. But at the right time and in the right way, Paul is saying, hey, get married. That honors God. Third, if you're living together and you have no plans on moving out today, we're going to take communion later, and this may offend some of you who even aren't living together. I'm going to ask you to sit it out. 
if you have no desire to obey God when his word tells you to do something, then sit it out today. I don't mean that you can't enjoy grace. I don't mean that God's work on the cross can't overcome that. It most definitely can. But there are parts of scripture that tell you not to take this flippantly either. And it's okay to sit it out and just spend some time talking with God about the blatant sin that you are accepting in your life. To be honest, that'd be true of really any sin at the moment. Now, if you're repentant and, and you have every intention of moving out later today, great, take communion. But if you know that's not the case, stay put today. Just pray, talk to God, that's okay to do. I've skipped communion before. I haven't skipped communion before when I was leading communion. There's some verses that talk about being in right relationship with other people. It's not the end of the world. In fact, that may be how you honor God, enjoy grace, and celebrate communion today. Paul's solution for sexual temptation is to get married, and the place for sex is within marriage, not outside of it. Marriage matters, so quit playing house. It's not your place. Next couple verses, starting in verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other. We'll stop there for a minute. (laughs) Don't get mad at me. (laughs) Okay, God said it. I'm just reading it right now. This doesn't sit well with our culture either. What do you mean it's not my body? Nobody can tell me what to do with me. We fight for a woman's right in our culture. This doesn't sit well. And again, before you get mad at me, talk to God. And number two, don't get married then. If you can't handle this verse, guy or girl, then you can't handle marriage. Church uh, secretary Donna Lehman made a great statement one day in the office where she said, I realize partway through marriage, it's maybe a misquote, it's a close paraphrase, if not a direct quote. I realized partway through marriage that it meant giving up your rights. We need to adopt that view more. I'm not talking about abusive situations, by the way. There are some situations that we need to process things in a particular way and come talk to us if you're in that situation. I mean, we're talking about normal situations. You might be fighting with your spouse. But it uses that phrase, marital duty. And to be honest, that's translating it lightly because it could be translated marital debt. As in, you owe marital relations to your spouse. Your body is not your own. Perhaps even to the point of before you run out and get a giant tattoo of your mom that your spouse has to look like every time you change, you ask them, Is that okay? Do you really like my mom that much? If they say yes, by the way, you need to see if they knocked their head recently because. No, the answer is no. No, don't do that. It's not my body. The minute I got married, I am not the only one with rights to me. And to be honest, we need to look for ways to bless each other than excuses to be left alone. Too often we're looking the other way. I said this before with some other passages a couple times ago when I was preaching. This isn't the kind of passage that God meant to be grabbed and have you beat your spouse over the head with, by the way. This is a passage you use on yourself. 
No. Children, obey your parents, although sometimes parents, you do need to remind your kids of that. Um, spouse questions, different things, uh, weaker, stronger Christian passages. Those are meant as a tool to refine myself in my own righteousness. Not something to point at somebody else to go home today to your spouse and be like, hey, Pastor James read it. You got no rights at all. That's not the point. But Paul is saying you need to remind yourselves, when I married, it was no longer my body, but mine and theirs. And if you don't like that, don't get married. Marriage matters. If that scares you, just don't get married. But no acting married either. God says it's one or the other, either celibacy, singlehood, or marriage. Purity in marriage, but still marriage. Verse 5, apologies if this makes you uncomfortable. I'm just reading scripture, but it's an important one to talk through. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There should be no sex-starved relationships in Christian marriages. And the stats are kind of sad, whether it's Christian or not. Although I do say, I do have to say, I think I've seen some where evangelical marriages are a little better on this. But I was reading one a little while ago from the UK, a study on marriage. And it said that the average was once a month. I don't think that's what God's talking about here. Paul doesn't define frequent. That's something for you and your spouse to talk about and agree upon. But I don't think those stats are what he's talking about. That's why everybody thinks marriage stinks, by the way. And I was reading another article where it talked about, hey, before we were married, lots of things were happening. And then we got engaged and, you know, less happened. And then we got married and less happened. And then we had kids and nothing happens. And it was, at the end, it was saying, am I the only one that had this problem? And then it said, don't tell me you don't. Like, well, you shouldn't realize it's tougher when there are kids around, but you shouldn't. Again, I'm not going to get into specifics on that. That's something to work through with your spouse. But instead of asking why, how about changing that question to why not? Why not now? Again, I don't mean to be offensive, but instead of a, okay, I guess we'll, you know, act married now. How about stopping and saying something like, hey, my kids are all at winter camp. Let's act like it's our, our honeymoon again. By the way, we still have spots for winter camp for junior high this coming weekend. <laughs> so if you've got a junior high kid, send them with me. All the rest of the kids, you can farm out to other people. I'm just reminding you. If that did offend you, by the way, you need to read Song of Solomon. <laughs> or just read 1 Corinthians 7. God created it and called it good. It's not a bad thing to talk about. Yes, we need to be careful how and when we talk about it. But it's a good thing. Nobody needs to know the details about Christian marriages. But if they knew or if they overheard, for whatever reason, in an appropriate way that you were talking with your spouse or something, Christian marriages should be the envy of the world. Men should be coming to church if only for this verse. I know men stay away, especially on Super Bowl Sunday. But 1 Corinthians 7, 5, men in the world who don't know God should be like, wait a minute. <laughs> you talk about that? Well, we're coming today. We're going to show up. What time? 9 o'clock? No big deal. 8 o'clock service? Great. I'll be there too. We're going to just sit in all of them. I hope this soaks in. 
We should be the envy of the world, and sometimes it's not. Ironically, by the way, the whole phrase puritanical shows that we don't get it. If you look at Puritan records and even journals and things, they understood this passage. It's partly why they had so many kids. They didn't have the hang-up that we have, and yet our culture has deemed that as a word of prudish. That's not the case at all. They honored marriage. It mattered when and how. But they also enjoyed 1 Corinthians 7.5. Top of that, too, there's some specific things laid out, and I think this is important to go into. The noted exception for this, in terms of not being starved, there are times to set aside even sex. Look at that verse again. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There are a couple of rules there. Number one, only for a short period. By the way, Lent doesn't count. It's also around the corner. There's been a trend lately to give this up for Lent. That's a horrible idea. Don't do that. I don't think 40 days is what he's talking about. That was a nice amen, by the way. I don't think 40 days is what he's talking about. I really don't. If you want to argue that with me, great. We can have that conversation later. But short, and if, okay, you know, it's longer, whatever, fine. The other part is, and only by mutual consent. There's no one-sided, like, marital freeze-out here. It's not okay. That doesn't honor Christ. And it matters that we honor Christ. Only on top of that, short, mutual consent, only for some kind of spiritual focus that is needed. It is a kind of fast that you both agree on for a short duration. It's a spiritual thing. I don't know why. I don't know what particular things. I know in my line of work, it'd be, well, we go on camp, we go on mission trips and different things. That would be a very similar situation. It's for a spiritual reason that both people are agreeing upon. It's for a short period of time. The last part, though, is, and I think we forget this sometimes, Paul says, hey, and have an end in mind. Have a termination And I would say a celebration moment of coming back together and reuniting in a good way that honors Christ. And you might go plan a missions trip or a spiritual, ascetic, or monastic kind of retreat. And that's great if you both agree on that. But you should end it with some kind of marriage celebration at the end. Romantic date or something. Don't just come back and return to normal life and definitely don't, men especially, but women too, definitely don't go on a spiritual retreat of some kind and then finish it off with, you know, going on a business trip. That's just dumb. In fact, Paul even says that's dangerous. We have some things in marriage that we should be paying attention to. And it matters. Marriage matters. Sex does too. So awkward as that might be to hear that said in church, sex does too. He created it and called it good. He also described the context in which it brings him glory. Before you look at verse 6, if some of you looking ahead and you think you read that, I say this as a concession, not as a command. Yes, Paul is saying it wasn't a command, but it is still in inspired, God-breathed scripture. So have fun coming to grips with that. It is something that as married Christians... We should be paying attention to. Verse 9. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. In premarital counseling, I call this my run to Vegas verse. Nobody understand. If you ever do that, they'll make fun of you endlessly. And I would say, don't actually run to Vegas. If you're not married, 
and you're struggling with temptation in your relationship and it's somebody you should be getting married to, don't actually run to Vegas, but you can, you can get married right away. I'd encourage some counseling first. There might be some steps before that. But you can get married pretty quick. I would just say, instead of running to Vegas and having your whole family and all your friends miss out, just go to your backyard. Just go to the beach. Just go to the gazebo at Waller Park. Have everybody meet you there and celebrate together. They'll give you endless grief for not being able to, you know, wait for a big elaborate wedding or whatever. Great. Respond back to them in love with something like, well, we wanted to honor God. I don't know about you. (laughs) Okay, maybe not that last part, but we wanted to honor God. If they can't handle that, who cares? Because isn't it always better to honor God than to dishonor him? I don't want to go past your comfort zone, but wouldn't it be better to say, you know what, forget the big wedding six months down the road, we're just getting married today, than it would be to blow it in the backseat of a car somewhere. Wouldn't that honor God more? To say, we'll trade off the expensive wedding that our culture expects. And we'll just have some wedding cookies and our friends around to celebrate. I think it would. Marriage matters. Vows matter. Wedding ceremonies don't. I don't mean the ceremonies themselves don't. I mean the big elaborate production. Going into debt just to get married is not God's plan for marriage. But those vows we make, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part, those matter a great deal. We made them to God and our spouse and in public. And that's something to celebrate, but that's something to take seriously. 1 Corinthians 10 through 15. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I am not the Lord. I think that just means he's not quoting something from like the Sermon on the Mount. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Non-believer there is a key word. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through a believing husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Some things there, some qualifiers first, actually. Number one, I know some of you won't like this, and you might even disagree with me. That's fine, but you need to come to grips with Scripture, always. I say that often if I think somebody's going to disagree with me. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Happiness will follow most of the time. But he doesn't care that you're happy with them. He does care that you're holy with them or without them. So if you think I'm misunderstanding the passage here, great. You sit down, you study it, and you be convinced that God's saying particular things there. Secondly, for those of you who are divorced or separated, I don't intend to heap judgment on you right now. But we do need to pay attention to Scripture. Especially if you were the one who left as opposed to the one who did the leaving. Grace to you. I don't want to be mean. Grace to you. I'm praying for you. God will carry you through this. But make sure you're doing everything that you can in a godly way. Number one, do not separate. 
Separation is not a good plan. It's not okay for a Christian. Don't sleep on the couch. Don't go to a different room. Don't get your own place. Just don't separate. Work it out. Go get some help. But don't go get a different sleeping place. It's not okay. And think about it for a minute. Two Christians, no matter what situation, but especially in marriage, two Christians should always be able to work through any situation. All we have to do is run to God and say, Lord, help me. I don't know what to do. And if we get no answer back, then we just say, you know what? I love you more than whatever issue we have. I'm letting it go. The Bible talks about that too. But don't separate. Talk about it. Work it through. I'm not talking about abusive situations here. Abuse, totally different situation. Come talk with me. I mentioned that a little while ago. But most of our marriages aren't struggling from abuse. They're suffering from being strangled by the normal things like neglect, apathy, and the mundane. They're struggling because we haven't taken care of them more often than an abusive situation. If you do separate, and not because it's okay, Paul's saying this not because he thinks it's okay, but because he knows the Corinthian church has already done this and some of them are going to continue. Corinth was not a very godly church. It wasn't very holy. And yet, in the greatness of the cross, they could still be called holy. But they weren't acting it very well. He says, if you do separate, the godly thing to do is to remain single and hope for reconciliation. If for whatever reason you make the bad decision of walking apart from each other, then stay single. As long as they are faithful to you in singleness, then you stay faithful to them in singleness. That includes at times remarriage is not an option. I do think there are times remarriage is an option. There's some verses down there later. But there are other times that we are way too quick to go to somebody who's separated or divorced and say, hey, when are you going to get remarried? And God maybe wants them to be single for whatever reason. So if you do separate as a Christian, our hope should be, I want this to be worked through. And really, on our part, it should be, they walked away from me, but I will not walk away from them as best I'm able. And unfortunately, we are in different places now. But I will stand by them. That is what my vows said, even if they don't believe their vows matter anymore. If two Christians separate, they ought to, and we opt ought to hope the end result is repentance and reconciliation. Definitely not divorce. I know some of you have been divorced. And again, I've recognized sometimes it wasn't your choice. You had nothing else, no other thing, nothing else you could do. You just got left. But as it is your choice, when it is your choice, don't divorce. Malachi 2, 13 through 16, we're not going to take the time to read it today, but God makes it pretty clear. I hate divorce. By the way, men, he was mostly talking to men then. I hate divorce. I know it happens, and I show grace to those who go through it, but I hate divorce. It is not what I want. There is a better plan. It's kind of harsh, I know. What does it say about our society, though, that it is easier to end most marriages than it is some business relationships? And even worse, what does it say about the American church that our divorce statistics are not significantly different than the world's? Something's wrong there. And we need to fight against that. We need to defend marriage against that. Marriage matters. God hates divorce. 
the exceptions in Scripture are, number one, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus allows for divorce in the case of adultery. He doesn't command, by the way. It's a concession. He doesn't command it. He allows it. He doesn't say, when they cheat on you, you have to leave them. He says, if they cheat on you, you are able to leave them. There's a difference there. Some Christian marriages have made it past even adultery. and They've honored God through that. Others have not been able to. But God does allow for it. And then here, Paul says a Christian is guiltless if they are left by a non-Christian. And I think that matters. I think the picture here, in fact, remember early church, so they wouldn't have had a lot of time for many of them to be Christians every real long time. I think the situation isn't that a Christian knowingly married a non-Christian. He addresses that in 39 and 40 where he says, if you remarry, marry a Christian. I think what he's getting at here is a situation where two non-Christians married. One of them became one of those crazy, wacky Christians along the way, and the other one can't take it. What do you mean we have to go to church on Sunday? I like to sleep in. Tithing? What is that? What do you mean like five bucks? How much? No, like 20 bucks at Christmas? Can't we do that? You're going to have some fights if you're married to a non-Christian having become a Christian during that marriage. And the situation here is, if they walk away from you, then you're no longer bound. I would say, if they're unmarried, even then, reconciliation should be what you're striving for. But it says, you're unbound. You're loosed. They walked away from Christ, and you can't be separated from Christ anymore. That was their choice. But a Christian should never do the leaving then for that reason. You know, again, abuse something, adultery, but not for that. So really for a Christian, there's still adultery. That's what's left on the table. Not this situation unless they're left, if they're abandoned. Because again, God hates divorce. In your notes, I mentioned it. We won't read it right now, but 739 makes it clear. Who can you marry? I don't think this is just remarriage, but it says marriage matters. Marrying someone who follows Christ matters even more just as much at least. Marry a Christian, somebody who can walk the same way with you. Just for your note's sake, uh, you can look these up on your own. What about remarriage? Well, marriage matters. Remarriage can be sacred too. Remarriage can matter too. And there are other times that we shouldn't. We rush into it sometimes, in my opinion. And I don't think we should. As a culture, sometimes we just seem to be convinced that romantic love is the only kind of way for somebody to know love and happiness. And God says, far from the case. In fact, romantic love is much inferior to mine. And that can be shown to anybody. I think romantic love is great. Love within marriage in every way, shape, and form is terrific. But it's not the only way to, be mar- to enjoy love and to find happiness. God has never made us to only be that. One other side issue before we get to the last verse. Uh, just because of polygamy being popular in our media, I won't say our culture, there's been some shows about it lately. I think First Corinthians 7-2 also eliminates polygamy. Seems to be talking about two people there, not a bunch. To, to pull from a TV show, yes, love should be shared and multiplied, but no, marriage and sex is not the only expression of love, nor is it appropriate for more than one other. Yeah, love should be multiplied. Marriage, not so much. If that verse isn't convincing to you, great. Look at every single polygamous relationship in Scripture. It's not pretty. 
have Jacob or Israel that you didn't want to be part of that family. Hannah, Hannah's great, family not so much. She's in a fight with this other woman. David's family had some issues. Solomon's family even more. Those are the four polygamous relationships I could think of in Scripture. I don't think you want to pattern your family after them. It's not a pretty sight. Marriage matters, three's a crowd, and to be honest, there's enough trauma with two. (laughs) You don't really need to add a third person in there. It's just going to be chaos at that point. In fact, I would argue God says don't do that. One more verse before communion. And husbands, if you fell asleep since 1 Corinthians 7, 5, you need to wake back up. 1 Peter 3. Sorry, I lost my spot. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Ladies, just ignore that right now. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Did you hear how much marriage matters there? It matters so much, man, that it's scary. God actually says, husbands, if you think you can ignore your wife and be a godly man, you need to know I will also ignore you until you repent of that. If you don't like these things, the biblical answer is don't get married, but then don't act married. But husbands, you need to understand that. Marriage matters so much that God ties our spiritual relationship with him on our relationship with his wife, with our wife, excuse me, on our relationship with our wife. says it matters so much that if you ignore her, I will tune you out also. You love her, you care for her as Christ did the church. And he didn't ignore the church, so you don't get to ignore her. Marriage matters to God in many ways, and it isn't a right, at least not for a Christian, as our world fights about marriage rights. Singlehood and celibacy also matter to God, and there are times that they are necessary. And your happiness is dependent upon God and holiness, not on marriage and romantic love. We need to change that mentality. So if you're a Christian, as we turn to communion, Whether you go to grace or not, please celebrate with us. If you claim Christ as your Savior, celebrate Christ as our Savior. If you're married, we're going to do communion a little different today. You're going to come up on your own during the next song uh, as Chet leads. You're going to come up on your own. You're going to take it on your own. Don't wait for me. I'll pray now for both of it. Some people in the last service waited because we don't usually do this form of communion. But come up, take it on your own. But if you're married... Take it with your spouse. As we take it collectively together, take it with your spouse. Walk up the aisle hand in hand if you want. Think about your wedding when you did that, probably in a church service or on a beach or in a park somewhere, in a backyard maybe. But walk hand in hand. That said, um, remember you're in church. I don't want to get called into Benji's office because you forgot where you were at. But you know, come together, pray with each other, take communion. For those of you who are single, again, Don't forget that singlehood can be a blessing. I understand it may not feel like it, and especially if you're dealing with a divorce situation or separation. It may not feel like it, but God can bless you greatly in this moment. Thank God for the cross, that he can redeem anything that he chooses to. 
So celebrate that. If you're living together, though, again, I'm going to say, please sit this out. I won't police it. I'm not going to run up and slap communion out of your hand. But please take this serious. God wants us to come here with repentance, not obstinance. For your sake, take it seriously. I'm going to pray now and again during the song as the worship team plays. Come on up. There are stations on the side and also in the back just to help us out today. You can come up around the front too. But if your spouse is in the room, take it with them. Pray on your own. You can go sit back down. You can move off to the side. Don't make a spectacle of yourself. We're celebrating Christ, not you. But in celebrating Christ, we can celebrate marriage too. He tells us to honor it. Let's pray. Lord, you are mighty and holy and we praise your name. Pray that you would bless every marriage in this room and where they are struggling, help them run to you. Lord, I pray for those who are single in the room. Encourage them in this, that you have their full attention. And it doesn't need to be split. Lord, above all, as we come to communion, we celebrate forgiveness and grace. Thank you for redeeming us. Amen.